Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to a very special Sunday service. Let me try this one more time. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's great to have you here. We got some worship flowing, as you heard from Joshua already. This is a special Sunday that's going to just be closing off what has been a really uh, powerful series these last six weeks. We've been talking about what it looks like to start over. And so if this is your first time joining us, welcome. My name is John Perrine. I'm one of the pastors here. If you've been with us, uh, we're just excited to bring the stories of what God has been doing in your life, where God has been moving and stirring, and bring it into this time of worship and uh, have a chance even to hear a story from our community. Um, just to invite you in to where you are, to orient you, our mission as a church is to help you find your way back to God. Um, if you are interested in connecting with us, we have a QR code. Everyone is invited right now to pull out their smartphone. We do this every Sunday. You get a chance to check in if you're regular. Uh, if you're new, we'd love to connect. We can get you uh, an email. We can uh, love to get coffee. I would personally love to meet with you and hear more of your story. Um, and right now, as we uh, jump into the next part of our service, I want to begin just as a reminder that uh, those of you who call this church your home, uh, every week we invite you to worship with us by giving back to God. We really believe everything we have financially, our jobs, uh, our possessions are all gifts from God. And I, I just want to continue to say thank you to those of you who call this church home, uh, that we are doing well financially. You've been giving generously. You are contributing to the mission of what it means to meet here in the city, to invite others in. And it's been really exciting just even over these last six weeks to see how when we combine our resources, when we give back to God, those resources actually flow out into lives that are being transformed right here in our midst. So you can go ahead and give by texting uh, the number on the screen or by scanning this QR code. Um, this morning, we, our hope was to have baptisms. I want to be the first to confess that I somewhat dropped the ball on this. I don't think I did a good job letting you know uh, that baptisms were supposed to happen this Sunday. Um, this is a rather small trough to be baptized in. Uh, I'm not saying that you can't be baptized if you're feeling moved to be baptized. Uh, we'll talk about this in just a moment. Um, but because this is a Sunday that all our other churches in our family are going to be holding baptisms, uh, I did want to take just a moment before we hear a story of what God has been doing through starting over to talk to you about baptism. Uh, we likely will be doing a baptism this coming April. Uh, for those of you who have been with us the last few baptisms, there is this incredible chance. We set up a trough right over here, and we hear stories about what God has been doing. Uh, every story always moves me to tears. They're powerful, powerful chances to see a transformed life in our midst. Uh, we also will be doing baptisms in the summer at the beach. For those of you who have been with us, know that in July, uh, we'll pick a Sunday again where we'll gather, we'll do a barbecue, we do baptisms in the waters of Lake Michigan where it is much warmer in July than it is currently uh, now. But in order to talk then about why anyone would get baptized, uh, why you might want to get baptized if you haven't been baptized before, or even if you can track with me this Sunday, I've been thinking a lot that if we were to do a show of hands, uh, probably a large percentage of you here would say that you have actually at some point been baptized. Uh, I won't make you do it because that could be awkward and I don't want you to have to look at your neighbor and have the moment of truth where you're kind of checking where baptism is at in your life. Um, uh, here's the beautiful thing about baptism. Baptism is one of these strange gifts in Christianity that does just happen once. 
So if you're like me, the baptism moment that you had was kind of scary. Uh, there was like a lot of pressure. There was a lot of anticipation around it. Maybe you had someone talk you through it. I was a young child when I got baptized, and my parents kept asking me, do you really understand what you're about to do? And I, as a five-year-old, am nodding my head. Yes, I'm very excited about what I'm about to do. Um, but in baptism, though the sign just happens once, uh, the way Christianity has talked and thought about baptism for a long time is that baptism doesn't just leave you then at that moment when you get baptized. Rather, baptism is this gift that remains with you your whole life of following Jesus. So one of the great examples of this uh, that I brought up a couple weeks ago in a sermon is the reformer Martin Luther, the German reformer. I just love this story because Martin Luther had a lot going on in his life. He was upheaving the political and church world he was in. He had all kinds of personal anxiety, doubt, guilt from past sins. And yet one of the things Martin Luther was famous for, in fact, he etched it in his desk where he studied the Bible, was a line that just simply said, I have been baptized. As Martin Luther would teach and preach, he would often encourage people, remember your baptism. Remember your baptism. I've been pondering this ever since I heard that, what it means to remember your baptism. Why would we need to remember our baptism? What could be the gift of remembering our baptism if you've been baptized? Or what could be the gift of baptism if you yourself receive baptism with us in the coming months? Um, There are really three images, and this isn't going to take too long. This will be a short sermonette of sorts. Uh, Three images that the Bible uses to talk about baptism. So as I give you these three images, I give these to you as a gift from the Bible to encourage you to remember what happened when you were baptized. The first image, quite simply, makes sense, is cleansing. The image of cleansing. Now, have you ever had a stain that you simply cannot get out. Have you ever had that happen to one of your favorite articles of clothing? I actually, if you can indulge me, wore these shoes intentionally because uh, as someone who only recently got into loving Jordans, buying Jordans, becoming part of the cult of those who like Jordan shoes, uh, I quickly realized why every person who owns a pair of white (laughs) Jordans almost becomes terrorized as they walk around the streets because every Every footpath, every sidewalk, every puddle becomes this dangerous possibility of staining your shoes. And here's the worst part. There is a small black mark right here on these shoes that none of you have probably seen. (laughs) Now I will never be able to wear these shoes again. And it's because as soon as you stain your shoes, guess what? They always are dirty, right? And it's actually hard to get the thought out of your mind when an article of clothing gets stained, even if most people don't notice that stain on your shirt, the stain on your jeans, the stain on your shoes. It's there, right? It lingers in your mind. And here's the problem with stains. If you, like me, have tried to remove stains, uh, we have a three-year-old and a -a one-and-a-half-year-old right now. Stains happen daily, if not multiple times a day. Uh, We spray every article of clothing deeply in a stain-removing agent, and yet it goes through the wash, and what so often happens is the stain lessens, it fades, but it never gets removed entirely. This, when the Bible talks to us about sin, is exactly the kind of image that the Bible likes to use. Here's the thing with any of our sins, and here sin could be 
of course, a moment. It could be a choice. It could be a behavior. But for most of us, sin is, are these deeply ingrained patterns of dysfunction, right? The ways in which we don't operate in the world in the way that we would like. And out of our own dysfunction, we harm people around us. We harm ourselves, even. Uh, the Bible talks about these dysfunctional patterns of behavior as stains on us. Even when I work hard on my anger. Have, ever, have any of you ever worked hard on your anger before? You can lessen your anger. It's amazing. I actually can even go days upon days upon days where my anger is reduced, where I almost begin to think to myself, nobody's noticing my anger anymore. And yet, it just takes that one high-stress interaction on the road <laughs> when somebody cuts you off, uh, when someone says something to you you're not expecting, when you're waiting for your food and you've had a long day and your food is not coming up, that suddenly that stain resurfaces again in our existence. And so when it comes to these stains of sin, the question is, what cleaning agent is capable of removing the stains that you and I have? Really, uh, the passage that dives into this beautifully, it has a lot going on. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. It's Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Now, again, I don't have time to do a whole sermon on Ephesians 5. There's lots of beautiful things happening here, but as Paul is talking about husbands loving their wives, he pivots hard in Ephesians 5 and begins to talk about something more, the way that Christ cleansed the church. Look with me at this passage. It's Ephesians 5, if you have your Bible. Uh, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, I said there's a lot going on in this passage uh, because Paul actually mixes his tenses, if you pay close attention to this. Paul talks about something Christ did do already. Christ gave himself up. Paul talks about something Christ is doing. You notice cleansing is a present and active verb. And then he talks about something Jesus will one day do when he presents her, the church, to himself without stain or wrinkle or any blemish but holy and blameless. And right there in the middle is that image of water. Water because, so often in the early church, baptism begins as a sign to us that in Jesus Christ, we are actually cleansed. Now, track with me here. This is hard to hold, I realize, but this is essential to the Christian faith. We have been cleansed by what Jesus did to us. So the moment that you repent and place your faith in Jesus, you are cleansed in him. But then this passage acknowledges many of us will continue to find ourselves returning over and over again to that which dirtied us, that which stained us. And so the Bible talks then about Jesus actively cleansing us as we follow him. Jesus is the agent that can remove the stain over and over and over again, just as one day, finally, you and I will be fully cleansed. The image that Paul uses here is that of a bride, which I love because there is nothing more radiant and glorious and even 
pure than a bride dressed in white, veiled, covered, and yet preparing for this transition into a brand new union, a brand new life. And yet even more, I was digging in this image, they're actually in Jewish custom, is this ritual washing that brides still do to this day before their wedding ceremony. Isn't that kind of beautiful that a bride, in order to prepare for this new union with their husband, will go to a mikvah, a place of cleansing, and they will bathe, and as they do, they actually offer up this prayer to God. God, prepare me and cleanse me so that I can enter anew into this new life of marriage with my spouse. Paul is saying, when, when we are baptized, we get this image of both what Jesus did do, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus one day will do. It's cleansing. If that's our first image, here's the second image for you. The image of birthing. Now, I know you weren't expecting this image. Uh, in fact, you may already feel uncomfortable for those of you who have not been proximate to a partner's birthing process. We had a friend uh, who, upon hearing my wife's birthing story, told us later that he was queasy and sick the rest of the night. So I'm going to try to avoid that for you this early Sunday morning. And yet, if you're a little bit sort of disoriented and confused why rebirthing would be an image of baptism, you wouldn't be alone. I take you to the infamous passage in John 3. Let me read this to you. Jesus is speaking at night to Nicodemus, who's a very uh, influential religious ruler. And Jesus says to him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asks. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. It's kind of interesting to read slowly, isn't it, that I had never noticed before that Jesus sort of throws the baptism of water and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit together in this process that he describes as a new birth. Uh, this is, this is going to be one of my stranger illustrations, so if you can hang with me on this. I was recently at the movie theaters and saw a trailer for the upcoming movie that's bound to be a huge hit, the new Avatar movie, which is called, if you've noticed, The Way of Water. Am I alone here? Has anyone else seen Avatar? The Way of Water is coming out. Now, here's, here's what's a little bit silly. Uh, un unfortunately, James Cameron really got me with this one because I never before had thought about the connection between water and life and death. And yet if you've seen this trailer, he has this sort of moving voiceover that declares the way of water is the way of life. It is the way that moves us to our death. Now, I don't think James Cameron, knowing the previous Avatar movie, is going to drop any profound spiritual insights on us. I'm not saying you should all go see this movie in order to be moved in your Christian faith. Uh, but I was, I was surprised. I, it did get me that for whatever reason, I just never thought before about how much water is actually connected to birth, to the fact that when you were in your mother's womb, as each of us were, that you were surrounded first by water. Have you ever pondered this? Uh, in fact, when I looked just briefly into amniotic fluid again, uh, <laughs> Again, this is as far as we're going. You stay with me. Stay with me. We're almost done. We're almost done. Uh, here's what I discovered. Amniotic fluid exists because it provides room for the baby to move safely in the mother's womb as they, the baby is growing and developing. It prevents pressure 
on the umbilical cord, the very source of life and sustenance that's being given. It regulates temperature so that when the world around the mother is cold, the water is keeping, protecting uh, the baby safe in the temperature of the body. And then finally, it, it actually softens any blows to the mother's stomach. I mean, the, the amniotic fluid is literally there to cushion the baby against any injuries that life could offer. As I'm thinking about baptism, and as I'm thinking about so many of us who went into the waters because we needed to start over, and who, in actuality, as many of us in this community are, are new enough in our Christian faith in following Jesus again, I think about the beauty of this image that when we are baptized, we actually are taken back into the spiritual womb of our eternal Father, and we're provided in this water some of those same comforts, this this resistance to pressures, uh, something that helps us regulate a bit. Like if you start doubting, if you start feeling anxious or scared, you can go back to remember this water that you were put down in and raised up through. Uh, that even baptism gets to remind you over and over again that unless you become like a child, uh, unless you embrace the innocence and vulnerability that requires God to protect you, then you're never fully going to be able to enter into this kingdom that Jesus is offering to us. I think for some of us, it's kind of hard, especially in the city, as high-earning, fast-running young professionals, to think of ourselves like a child. And yet, this is part of what baptism invites us to remember. All of us had to enter into the waters again. All of us had to be reborn. And all of us still, if we're being honest, need all of those protections and sustenance and security that the womb of God can provide. If that's the second image, let me move you on to our final and third image. And this image, quite simply, is that of involving. Baptism requires participation. It is a fully involving sign. Uh, this is slightly building off last week when I talked about the story of Paul the apostle, and how he's there on the road, and he has this experience where he's hit by light, and he's struck blind, and he hears a voice telling him, Saul, Saul, why have you been persecuting me? And Saul suddenly realized he's fully implicated, fully involved. Everything he's been doing against these followers of Jesus, he's actually been doing to Jesus himself. What I love is as you sit with Paul, over and over, Paul is going to build off of this insight that he was involved in crucifying his Lord. And in fact, he's going to get so involved with Jesus that he's going to come to the realization that it's only if he is with Jesus in his death that then he can be invited with Jesus into his new life. So here's what Paul says in Romans 6. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Here's what baptism is doing. When you get into the water, you are fully submerged. And if you have the chance to be fully submerged, there is a moment, if any of you have experienced this, of panic, right? You are under the water. There is nothing worse than not being able to breathe and feeling your senses go haywire to realize that you are totally vulnerable. And Paul's point is this 
image, this picture of involvement in death is for a reason, right? Each of us have to be involved with Jesus in this death. If we are truly going to die to those stains, if we truly are going to break the bondage that we've been living in, those patterns and addictions, those regrets that have been holding us back, and yet here's the beauty, here's the breathtaking image that baptism provides that Paul wants us to see. When we are lifted up out of the water, we are released from not just our previous behaviors, not just our regrets alone, but from death itself, that we come with Jesus into the new life, into the very resurrection life that Jesus provides for us. I think this image of involving for me, might be one of the most challenging because as a millennial uh, living in this cultural moment, living in the city even, I tend to like to be uninvolved <laughs> and pretty compartmentalized in almost every sphere of my life. Any of you feel this way? Like if I go eat somewhere and they get my email address and then they start emailing me, I feel this like, whoa, <laughs> you've intruded my personal email domain, right? Uh, for, for me, I know that I can have a work self. There's me when I'm at work. There's me that's sort of at my emails, that's in a professional, pastoral mode. Then I can have a friend self, me that's relaxed, hanging out, uh, just having a nice time. Or there's me with my family self, like what is me as a father, sitting, playing with my children. And, and then there's me, in all sorts of other selves, particularly a social media self, right? The self of me that I present through Instagram or Twitter or Facebook to the world. Our, our culture is kind of built to encourage us to compartmentalize, to fragment, to separate ourselves. And yet what Jesus does in baptism is he involves himself in all of ourselves and forces us to come back into this, this central self of Jesus himself. Uh, Paul says, if you die with Christ, you get to live with Christ. Jesus takes all of those different compartmentalized and fragmented selves, and he puts them into the ground with him, and then he lifts you up in this brand new Jesus-centered self. I just have been thinking all week about remembering our baptism, and I, I can't help but think for me that if baptism could just remind me how involved with Jesus I am, if I could just do that regularly, then it would help me to bring Jesus with me into all of those selves. You with me? Not, not live this compartmentalized life where myself over here is sort of different from the self that I offer over here that's different than the self here, but that just has Jesus with me in every one of those selves until eventually you look at me and say, you're the same self everywhere I see you because Jesus seems to also be anchoring you every place you go. That's my dream for us as a community. That's my dream for you, that you could be a Jesus-centered self. And I think, I think this is the gift of starting over. This is the gift of releasing regrets. It's our reminder to you that if you are in Jesus, if you have turned to Jesus with your life, and, and if you have been baptized, or again, if you will be baptized, that here in these waters, these waters remind you over and over and over again that you've been involved with Jesus, that you've been reborn with Jesus, that you have been cleansed in Jesus. 
And so in a moment, when we turn to communion, if you've been wondering this whole time why a bucket of water is here, and there is a bucket of water upstairs in the balcony as well, in a moment, I want to give you a chance to remember your baptism by doing something really simple. I'll give you more instructions on it in just a second, but the practice is simply going to be this. As you come forward to receive communion, you can one at a time dip your hands here in the water. And when you dip your hand in, I can assure you it's cold. (laughs) It will not feel warm. Uh, It'll be a little disorienting. It will be wet, even for some of you, like, uncomfortably or frustratingly wet. Why is so much water now on my hands? And the, the sign, the practice that I want to invite you to do, if you feel comfortable with it, is just to touch your forehead with that water, to just remind your skin of the water that you've been baptized, cleansed, and involved with. Uh, so in just a moment, I'm excited to let you do that as we move to communion. But before we do, as I've been thinking about baptism and what it means to start over, as I've been pondering the series and what Jesus has been doing here in our community, uh, there are a lot of stories that could be shared, but one story we wanted to invite up is Frank Johnson. If you, if you give Frank a hand just as we bring him up here. Now, I'm the roadie this morning, so give me a moment. Forgive me as I... So for those of you who haven't had a chance to meet Frank yet, Frank came to us from our Lincoln Square location, uh, has been a part of us here at Community Lincoln Park for the last several months now. And uh, Frank, your story just has you coming back to God later in life, uh, even recently in the season. And so we're thinking about uh, just what it it means to find your way back to God. Could you tell us more about what drew you? Sure. So uh, is this working? Make sure this is on. There you go. Can you hear me? Okay. Well, a little bit about my story. So I was raised a Catholic, uh, went to Catholic school as a kid, and um, as much as any normal kid would believe in God, I believed in God. But um, as I got older and I had some negative experiences with the Catholic Church um, and other things, I really just slowly lost my faith. And it really, by the time I was in my 20s, I just was convinced that you know, the Bible was just like any other religion. It's a myth. It's a myth that was developed by mankind to control mankind. So I was thoroughly convinced that the Bible um, really was just a bunch of stories that were compelling and interesting to some people, but I just didn't believe that it really was the Word of God or that there was a God because I didn't believe in God. So um, COVID hit and uh, started working from home and, you know, when you don't have Christ in your life, you fill that gap with other things. So I was very much driven by career, um, you know, all I fo- focus on, and I still focus on retirement, but how much money am I going to save for <laughs> retirement, that kind of a thing. So that's all I cared about at the time. But um, 2020 hit, we had COVID, we're all sitting at home, we're not going into work, and uh, throughout my higher strung aspects of my life and career, I ended up getting addicted to Ambien, which is something you take when you have sleeplessness, you can't sleep. You, you know, the, it works really well for a couple days, but then what happens is when you keep taking it, your brain needs it every day. Yeah. So um, I couldn't sleep for 10 years if unless I'd had a pill yeah. in Ambien. And as my wife can attest, anytime we went on vacation, anywhere we went, always do you have the Ambien? Because I'm not going to sleep if you don't have the Ambien. That's all I cared about. Anyway, COVID hits, I'm at home. I decide it's finally 
time to kick Ambien. You know, I'm not going into work. I'm working from home. So if I have to sleep, if I don't get little sleep, that's fine. Um, I should mention that when you kick Ambien, it has the opposite effect. So mm -hmm. when you stop taking it, you can literally spend an entire month not sleeping. And that's what occurred to me. So in uh, March of 2020, couldn't sleep. I had to get it out of my system. I had to get my brain functioning the way it was intended to function. And so what would happen is I'd lay in bed, I'd read uh, on an iPad up to a point, but you know, I knew, okay, it's two o'clock, I'm just gonna lay and perhaps I'll get five minutes. And then you know, your brain just goes into all these different thoughts and you know, you're, just, you're sitting there trying to get to sleep. And one of the thoughts turned to God. Um, it was fresh in my mind because I had just been with my mother who is a very devout Christian and she had been praying uh, for years that I find Christ. And I, I actually told her uh, a couple months before that, I said, yeah, listen, Mom, I would love to believe because I really prefer to know that I have an existence that continues after I die. But unfortunately, Mom, I think when you just put me in the ground, I'm just going to turn into dust and I'm done. So I really wanted to believe, but I, I, I must tell you, I just did not. And uh, I couldn't make it work. It just seemed mythical. And um, this evening, when one of these evenings when I'm trying to kick the Ambien, I, um, and only an atheist would do this, because now that I'm a God-fearing Christian, I would never challenge God. But I threw a challenge out to God. And I said, and this literally probably lasted a minute in my head, God, if you exist, show me a sign. But, you know, don't, don't point me to a Bible verse that I don't understand, that, you know, I'm going to have to call someone to try to explain it to me. You know, I, I, I'm a student of history. It's been my favorite subject, so I ask God very directly, you know, show me some historical evidence that Jesus Christ actually existed. And, well, you know, didn't wake up the next day, slept, you know, tried to sleep through the night, got up the next morning. My wife asked, as she had done every morning during this period, how'd you sleep last night? How'd it go? And I said, eh, bad again. You know, and I had already forgotten about this thought that I had, the challenge I had put forth to God. And um, she said, you know, you really should stop reading your iPad because that blue light, that's not helping you get to sleep. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And I, because I had kind of turned to e-books years before, I thought there was no need for a paper book. And every paper book we had, I had read, I thought. So she went out and said, well, here, let me go try to find a book that you're going to like that we may have. And she came back with a book and said, your mother actually gave this to you a couple years ago. I don't even remember receiving it. And it was a book called Killing Jesus. And that right away, she didn't have any idea that my challenge to uh, God the night before. Now, I, all of a sudden, I got this jolt of energy. I'm like, wow, that's a coincidence. Yeah. So then I went and got the book. It's a short book. It's not very long. And I read the preface. And in the preface of the book, it basically almost stated verbatim what I had challenged God the night before, and it basically said, this is not a theological book, this is a book of history. And it, the, basically the book shows all the historical evidence um, supporting Christ and the Bible. Well, long story short, I, that was my first main sign, and then past, within a week or two, I was getting so many signs that you know, you'd have to be you know, putting your head in the sand to think that, you know, <laughs> okay, these are not coincidences, this is really unique. My gosh, I'm actually getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, the joy, I mean, I cried. I called my mom. I, I, it was just unbelievable, yeah. just what came over me. And so I think I'm talking a lot, but I, now I'm getting to 
Yeah, keep that's going. What, You're doing great. That's the regret. <laughs> um, so here we are today. So I uh, joined community in 2020. Uh, we went to the Lincoln Square location, and uh, now that Lincoln Square is closed, we're very happy to be here in uh, Lincoln Park. But um, you know, when you talk about having regrets, and then what do you do to change, to kind of push the reset button? Well, I not only am now a devout Christ follower, and I speak with God every day, I pray every day, but I also, that book that I thought was so useless, now I'm getting a master's in biblical studies because I find that to be the most interesting, nothing's more interesting than the Bible, and <laughs> I need to know more. I'm being the Holy Spirit's pulling me that way. I'm not quite sure where I'm supposed to go after that, but I do know that getting the, my master's in biblical studies is uh, the path. So. Wow. Frank, uh, we'll give Frank another hand in just a moment here, but as you think about starting over, we were talking just a tiny bit about baptism. You got baptized at Lincoln Square a year yes. ago from... Uh, about two years, yeah, yeah. About two years ago. Yeah. What does is, what is baptism and starting over look like for you in this process of following Jesus now? You know, it's almost, and I won't put her on the spot, she could, my wife Carrie could answer this better than me because she's seen a complete change, mm. you know, and I see a change in the way I think of things. Um, I've had some stressful situations just happen this weekend, which probably old Frank would have taken it <laughs> very hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New Frank said, all right, Lord, I know there's a lesson there, yeah. and I know, that, I know why this happened, and I, I see, you know, so... It, when Christ is part of your life, he is, you know, the Holy Spirit, you know, you, you, we hear about that in Acts, the Holy Spirit's the advocate who comes. Um, he truly is the advocate. I feel it every day, and mm. it's just been a wonderful experience being a Christian. Yeah, I love it. Let's give Frank a hand, everybody. Thanks so much, Frank. We're going to close uh, just with a time of worship, but as we do, I hope you can hear there are incredible things happening in this community. It's a joy to see one of the gifts of being in the city is how fast-paced everything is. It means you all have come into our church. Most of you have come after COVID. Uh, a lot of you are new, and yet God, much with Frank's story, is just getting our attention. I feel it uh, on the other side of COVID. I've been hearing a number of stories here even in the last few weeks of the way God is inviting us to start over, to come back to these waters, to remember our baptism, to release our regrets, and to start a new chapter with God. So as we enter into this closing time of worship, would you just close your eyes with me for a moment? I want to just invite us to pray together. Lord, I pray even now that your Holy Spirit would be moving and stirring. Once again, any invitations, any words that you want to speak here and now to this room, whether a person's shown up here unexpectedly, whether they've, they've just come for the first time or the first few times, or they've been a part of this community for a while. Is there any regret that is clinging? any stain that just still seems stubbornly to be sticking. And Lord, as we share these stories, as we celebrate 
what you have done in Jesus, we pray that even now you would be actively cleansing us, helping us to release these regrets. What I pray as we go through this final time of communion, especially as, as we enter into communion in just a moment, that your spirit would press near with the words of Jesus, that in Jesus you have been cleansed. Go now and release your regrets. Come, Spirit, as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name.